Thanks, Ruth, very much indeed. We're um, coming almost to the end of our series, Nailed It, that we began uh, a few weeks before Easter and has taken us uh, right through. For, for these last three, of which this is the second of the last three, I want us to think about the implication of the resurrection for our assurance about what happens after death, our physical death. Uh, And then um, next week, uh, we'll wrap it all up when we look at the implications of the resurrection for what happens to the end of history, the way that the the risen Jesus will wrap the whole thing up um, in the end. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the implications for our our daily living. If um, you're interested in any of that or uh, any of the ones that you've missed before, you can get them all uh, there. Uh, or you can search for the podcasts on iTunes using uh, those words. Uh, you need to listen to last week's for just saying, really. Um, uh, were you here last week, some of you? Yeah, I wasn't. Mr. Corker, um, last week. So uh, the reason you need to listen to last week is that uh, a lot of last week is stories of what God's doing, extraordinary things, in lives that we might say are ordinary and uh, it gives us courage if you want your faith to be built, if you want to be a bit more enthused about Jesus than you were uh, 30 minutes ago, then uh, listen to last week and uh, allow that to speak to your heart. It's called Nailed It, by the way, because when Jesus rose from the dead, he nailed uh, once and for all the question of who he was and what he came to do. So let's get going. Jesus proved himself by doing what? By rising from the dead. It's obvious, but it kind of struck me afresh this last week, that it was a genius thing to choose. Uh, he, He could have chosen all kinds of things to prove who he was. He could have written in the sky or flown around the world in 30 seconds or, I don't know, God can do anything. So what would you have done if you wanted to prove to everybody that you were the top dog? And it, it kind of it came afresh that it was a, a masterstroke of God, not surprisingly, that, that he would choose to show his supremacy by demonstrating his supremacy over death. But Christ has indeed been raised the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We are certain in the face of our own death, because firstly, of his resurrection. Why choose death? Maybe because death, the one thing that we cannot escape from or defeat. Maybe because death somehow encapsulates our greatest fear that casts its dark and gloomy shadow over even the brightest of days. It's the constant dripping tap of remembrance that however good things are right now, one day those good things will come to an end. The proverb so true, birth the messenger of death. We know that deep down we can't celebrate birth, we cannot embrace life without recognizing where it will end. And we go to great lengths to avoid uh, that end, uh, extreme lengths, uh, uh, cryonics and the rest, Walt Disney and co, and Muhammad Ali apparently. But whilst most of us, all of us, won't go to those lengths, 
we, we, we will keep it at a distance. I will push it to the back of my mind. I, I will uh, try and avoid that reality from breaking into my current daily existence. And we use all kinds of euphemisms in order to protect us from its reality, understandably, I suppose. Thinking that if we don't think that it will happen, maybe it won't. If we ignore it, don't talk about it, act as if it doesn't exist, then maybe it won't. Most of us, I guess, will have taken life assurance to make sure that in the event of our demise, certain things are taken care of. But imagine, imagine if there was an assurance for the soul. Imagine if the shadow that casts its ray over our lives could be lifted. Imagine if the fear need not be our foundation anymore. Imagine if we were free to live fully now without needing to anticipate a sense of ache or anxiety about what is to come. There's nothing worse than going on holiday knowing you've got to face something bad when you come back. Uh, And yet we can live our lives in this kind of time zone that there is something ultimately for us to fear. What kind of life is it anyway to live like that? What kind of life is it anyway to live today knowing that storm clouds are gathering? It was that assurance that marked the words that Ruth read to us, that Paul writes, that assurance that we need not live like that, that enabled Paul to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It was that perspective that he lived out of that each day now was full of the reality of Jesus. But when that comes to an end, however good, however glorious, how wonderful that is right now, there is something better for us to step into. And it was that reality that motivated those early disciples to talk about the risen Jesus even in the face of their own death. To talk about the risen Jesus even though in some scenarios that hastened their own death by martyrdom. Look at what Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians. This lovely phrase about Christ being the first fruits the first fruits. And Paul is picking up what all those readers would have understood about the first fruits. Every time you had a harvest, when the first fruits of the harvest came, the full harvest was yet to be, but when the first fruits of the harvest came, you would take those first fruits and you would offer them in thanksgiving to God in anticipation that one day the full harvest would be here. 
And so Paul is saying, look, Jesus is the first truth. It's the first sign of harvest. The first reality that death is not the end. The first reality that death is not ultimately the victor, the winner. That death ultimately does not triumph. Jesus, the first fruit, a sign that the full harvest one day is coming. And that was the excitement with which they lived, that what Jesus did was not just Jesus, not just to prove who he was, not just to undeniably uh, shape the reality that he was the Son of God and help us understand what he did on the cross. His resurrection was the first harvest, a sign that the full harvest one day would come. And because of that reality, Jesus spends the final hours with his disciples, helping them come to terms with his death so that they in turn might come to terms with their own. You see, Jesus wants you to be certain. He wants you to be certain because of his resurrection, but he also wants you to be certain because of his words. And he said to those first disciples, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, which of course he did, and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I'm going on ahead, but I will come back. It was the image, as you've heard me say before, of the Middle Eastern journey. Traveling through life is a bit like a Middle Eastern journey. The roads were narrow and steep on times. All kinds of dangers lurked to the left and the right, just like the road that Jesus talked about. He said there's a road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And you wouldn't walk that road by yourself because there are bandits in wait lying to rob you. And Jesus tells a very typical story of what happened. And so for Middle Eastern travelers, they were at their most vulnerable when they were traveling. And the fear of getting towards their destination, but night closing in, the chill of the air and the darkness of night, making them much more vulnerable to the prey of bandits and robbers. They would send one of their party to go quicker, to go on ahead and to prepare a room. In other words, to buy a room in a travel lodge for them. Put down the deposit. So that they knew as they traveled towards the end of the day that they were sure of somewhere certain to spend the night. And so they could travel through the day because they knew they had a room. And Jesus says, I'm like that person that's going to race on ahead and I'm going to prepare that room for you so you can journey through life with all its ups and downs, with all its unexpected turns and crevices, with all the bandits of life ready to rob you and ambush you. You can travel with certainty because there is a room. You could get excited, or I could find a congregation that's interested. (laughs) That was funny, wasn't it? That was funny. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? I think so. I think it's amazing. So he says, look, I'm going on to prepare a place for you. Jesus is quite sure that they can believe in his words. Because he says that same night, this is the final night, before he went to the cross. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And then he says, just before that, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus is saying, look, you can trust my words. 
And the reason he says that, just like so much of the Gospels, is just fantastic. If you've got a Bible in front of you, turn to Mark chapter 14 and we'll, we'll find verse 12. If you've got a Bible in a pew, you can shout out the number so that others of us can find it. If you're on the... 1082, thanks, Si. 1082, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 16. It's a story. Oh. Oh. What? Okay, let's start again. Anyone got any idea where Mark chapter 14, verse 12 is in the Pew Bibles? 1020. Is that good? It's like the election counts, isn't it? 1020. Here we go. Okay. Verse 12. It's a story about Jesus sending people on ahead to prepare a room. Yeah, you're making the connections, you're joining the dots. All right? Always. Always in Jewish literature. You're talking about one thing, but you're thinking about something else. Brilliant. Okay, so verse 12, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Verse 13. So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Then the important bit, the disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. Now the reason that's so interesting is that what Jesus had told them was the most unlikely scenario imaginable. Men would never carry water. For goodness sake, we'd leave that to the women. It's like saying, you know, uh, to see a man carrying a, a, a kind of pitcher of water would, would be like saying, you'll find a man knitting. You know, men generally don't do that, at least not where I come from. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to upset everybody, so I'm just working through the whole. So you might have imagined the disciples inwardly protesting. We're never going to find a man carrying a pitcher of water. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. You wouldn't see it. You can imagine them going further. You know, these instructions to go into a house and say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? Well, what will the man say? He'll say, who are you? What teacher? What guest room? I don't know what you're talking about. It was all full of kind of so highfalutin and vague as to be almost impossible. And Jesus is saying to those disciples, look, look, trust me in these simple instructions to get this room ready. Whatever they're questioning and reasoning, They do it. And then, as I said, verse 16, the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. And now that same night, while they're in that same room, Jesus is saying, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to prepare a room for you. And you can trust what I'm saying, because I sorted this room out, didn't I? You didn't expect this room to work out. You didn't expect the man carrying the water. You didn't expect to be welcomed by a stranger. And as I prepared that room, so I'm going on ahead. Don't be afraid, even in the face of death. My death and yours, says Jesus. You do not be afraid, because I've told you. I've told you that in my house there are many rooms, in my Father's house. And I've told you that I'm going on to prepare a place for you. Trust me in this greater matter. 
Trust me for this greater room in the way you've learned to trust me for where you are now. So we can be certain because of his words. But Jesus also reminds them in that same conversation that they can be certain because of his works, because of his miracles. Believe me, he says in John chapter 14 and verse 11, where all this conversation is being recorded for us. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. The Jairus's daughter, the widow of name, the Lazarus dead for four days. You can be certain because of my works, the greatest of which, as John would record, was his own coming back from the dead. Let's go back, though, to that Middle Eastern image of the runner. I guess it needed to be a runner to go on ahead and secure the room. You will know that to secure a room, you have to pay for it, or at least you did in that culture. You might get away with a deposit these days, but not that often anymore. To make it yours, you need to go on and you need to pay. We are certain because of his cross. For as Paul said, what I've received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ died, paid for our sins. We know that when Jesus said, I'm going on ahead, He was actually going on ahead to make full payment. Not just for any room, but for your room. Not just for any traveler, but for you as a pilgrim. Not just for the others, but for me. And almost while the words were still hanging in the air, Jesus would be dying on a cross. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, he would cry out as he died, it's finished. Or, it's paid. Paid in full. Because it was. You know, when you're in a hurry, it's there, Chris, actually. That'd be great. My water, is that what you're going to get? You're really kind. Thank you very much. It's brilliant. Thank you very much. There's, uh, no, there's another one down there. So I'm just telling you, I'll take one as well. I might be Emma's, but I'll have that. Thanks for it. Cheers, everyone. You know those um, chip and pin machines? Don't they take ages? Ages? Like you put, there's a queue, isn't there? You're at the co-op, you know? Everyone's watching. You put your stuff in the bag. Everyone's tutting and stuff. You put your card in. And it goes, waiting, waiting, waiting. You put your pin in and it goes, authorizing, authorizing, authorizing. The, the, the person at the desk gets embarrassed. Oh, the machine's terribly slow today. Let me say that as if the machine's got feelings. The machine's not working. I'm sorry, the machine's slow today. And everyone's about, sorry about this. My card, you know, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. All right. And you might wait all of 60 seconds for the green light and authorized. And phew, I saved the day. Six hours. He was on that cross. Six hours on that cross. While the world watched and waited and mocked and scoffed and laughed 
and scorned. And then the green light, authorized, paid in full. I invite you this week, a discipline. Every time you get to that chip and pin, you remember that cross as you punch in your numbers and wait for authorization. Because someone's gone on ahead and he's authorized in a way we might never have dreamed imaginable. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That he would do that for us. I've got my water. And do you know, he longs. He longs for us to be certain. And that's it this morning, really. That you would grab hold of the certainty that is yours. And ultimately, in response, he gives us his presence. Each day, that we might know that certainty in the deepest parts of our being. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I'll be back. Who said that? Schwarzenegger or someone. Arnie. Jesus said it first. I'll be back. And he, and he did come back. In the resurrection, Jesus came back. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus came back. And he will come back again in his resurrected bodily form. In the meantime, though, he comes back. And look what Jesus' promise is. It's amazing. The, the, Jesus comes back through the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. God makes his home with us because one day we will make our home with him. How brilliant is that? Today, this day, God will make his home with us because one day we will make our home with him. And we know the Father's presence in us by the Holy Spirit And that's what Paul would say. When you became a Christian, you were marked by the Holy Spirit. A deposit, a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God makes his home in your heart on earth because one day you will go home to his heart in heaven. It's his gift to you to be sure. That is, you can't work it up. You can't dance yourself into a frenzy. Can't wave a flag. Can't raise your hands. Can't sing a song. But it is a gift to be received. Because for as long as it's about something that you do, you will never think you've done enough. Because I wouldn't really like to trust me to get myself all the way home. Sometimes we can't trust each other to find a house the other side of town. So let's not trust ourselves to find our way home. Because that's not the deal. The deal is a gift to you. That as you open up your life to this Jesus, who will want all of you, who will demand your allegiance, the gift to you 
is absolute assurance. Today, tomorrow, when your body's failing, when you're not sure what's around the corner, absolute certainty that in my Father's house are many rooms. So what did he say? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that this gift from Jesus would be ours today. It's for those that have put their trust in Jesus. That's the only deal. I'm going to pray that that gift of certainty, of assurance would be ours. Holy Spirit, you have promised to live in us, to make yourself known within us as a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing all that is to come. Holy Spirit, would you quicken the depths of our hearts with your presence? Would you bring to our hearts Jesus and God the Father? So that as we've read and heard you promise, the Father himself will make his home in us, in our hearts. Because one day our hearts will find a home in him forever. Holy Spirit, would you come? Just wait quietly and silently. Invite Jesus to minister to our hearts. To drive out fear. To overcome doubt. To dispel unbelief. We can be certain because he's alive. He's gone on to prepare a place and he's come back. And he's paid for that place in full. Guaranteed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.